Michelle Kennedy and welcome to Learning Curve, the VHub series brought to you by Vodafone Business. In this episode, I'm speaking to Alfred Samba about brand marketing. Alfred is the head of community and social at blockchain venture studio Ioconic. Previously, he served as the head of social content at Gymshark and was responsible for the brand's organic social strategy that drove the company into prominence. Alfred, hi, I'm so excited to speak to you today. I'm excited to be here. Let's get stuck right in. Yeah. I'd love to hear a bit more about your experience as a marketeer, like what took you into that world? Yeah. How important is branding in marketing? Yeah. Um, and then I want to talk about the butterfly effect, but let's start with marketing. Yeah. So um, um, all my life, I thought I was going to be a doctor like my dad. And then I realized that I was terrible at science. So I had to find something completely different. The iPhone keynote in 2007 by Steve Jobs changed my life forever. Because up until then, whilst I thought that I was a person that had a lot of ideas like storytelling, creative thinking, I never quite saw it delivered and presented in a way that actually resonated with me. That whole line of having a thousand songs in your pocket that changed my life in terms of like storytelling and how you articulate very, very complex information in a way that anybody can understand. So I started to become really fascinated about the marketing space. And then a year later, I saw an article about this 23-year-old uh, that said no to Yahoo uh, after they offered a billion dollars. And it was a guy called Mark Zuckerberg. He was on about this app called Facebook, which my friends were using at the time. And with marketing, you know all about that whole four P's um, theory, product, place, price, promotion. And I was like, well, place doesn't necessarily need to be a physical space. And where my friends are spending their time, the place is online. So could this thing called social media marketing be a thing? And I just wanted to be the person that figured that out and was the expert in that thing. So uh, I just went on the journey. It was actually my dissertation topic, how small to medium-sized business can leverage social media to dethrone the larger competitors. That was in 2012. I, it got marked down due to lack of Harvard references because nobody actually proved the theory. And my whole purpose in my work life was to be able to be that reference. And uh, we're getting there and getting closer every single day. So that's how I got into it. So yeah, being the reference point yeah. in others' dissertations, yeah. amazing goal to set yeah. for yourself. Music has a massive part to play in your career, but also in your view on marketing and yeah. branding. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear how music led you to really the creation of your new venture that's coming out. Yeah, yeah. so I like to use music as a reference point for how to do business because I understand it. I also like to use sport. And for the most part, as well as sport, music is my passion. So I listen to music like obsessively. It was only when I uh, started to review the pattern of my Spotify wrapped through the years, that there was a song called Butterfly Effect that just kept appearing every single year. I loved it. And if that song plays, it energizes me. And it was only when I started to look into what it actually meant um, that, I, that I started to understand that it's actually a philosophy that I embody in life. If uh, multiple butterflies flap their wings, uh, eventually leads to a tornado. So it's like small steps done consistently and frequently eventually leads to something big. And that's my approach with everything. Set the big goal, do little steps every single day, and eventually it leads to chaos. And that is why uh, um, uh, I'm launching a creative company called uh, Butterfly Effect, because that's what we want to do with brands and individuals. And 
Talk about living the brand. You're wearing a ring right now with the butterfly on it. How important is it to keep consistently reinforcing a message so that everyone understands the meaning of the butterfly effect? It's super important to um, make sure that you embody and you you live and breathe what you do. Um, Work is probably the, the place that we spend most of our time in. And it's important to ensure that uh, especially if you're going to lead a business, you're going to bring people along on the journey. It, it is your journey and people want to be on the journey with you. So at least make sure that people are excited about something. Make sure that people feel a part of something. Make sure that the passion signs through. And uh, that's what, what I am. I'm just passionate about what I love to do. And it seems like it radiates and people like it and people want a vibe. So um, keep doing it. We've really. got all the vibes here. <laughs> all, um, the vibes. <laughs> all of the vibes coming. But since I met you which feels like a lifetime ago, which was <laughs> literally minutes. Um, you've been telling me stories. Storytelling is so important. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you said to me is when I'm thinking about the story that I'm telling, I'm consuming the present. Yeah. What a soundbite. I was like, wow, can you tell me more about that? My, my whole thing is all about if you want to be a marketeer, if you want to market in the year that we live in and you want to resonate with people today, you have to consume the present because otherwise you'll be using archaic or strategies that you felt romantically in love with back in the day when they used to work and you lose touch with what people are consuming today. To be a great marketeer, you have to market like how you consume. And if you consume the past, you'll market like the past. If you consume the present, you'll market like today. That's how I see it. And we were talking about some of the elements that make marketing great. And you, I was making notes really for myself um, <laughs> around kind of consistency and authenticity and usefulness, which I thought was really interesting. What are some amazing examples of marketing outside of what you've done, obviously, that you kind of have drawn on? So people don't just buy what you sell, they buy who it comes from. Look, look at all these different organizations that are starting to make sure that they have a face, right, that represents the brand. and. People ask me, why does that work? It's because you're you're giving people transparency. You're giving people the ability to look at the team, the process, the reasoning, the vision. Why do you do it? The good days, the bad days, what you're struggling with, what you're working on. Those are all things that reinforces uh, whether what a brand says in the front end is actually realistic and, and authentic in the back end. So I always like to encourage brands to market like a football team. You need to make sure that when people wear your clothing or your label or your brand, it says something about them. People are leaning on brands and what they wear to almost like tell a story about themselves. So what story does your brand say about the person that's wearing it? That's what you need to personify and that's what you need to look at. And how do you do that as a small business? And if you're a small business that perhaps isn't direct to consumer, maybe you're a small business, but your business is really B2B. How do you take on those lessons of of marketing and how you want people to kind of have that pride in who you are? Yeah, I, I think the the best marketing strategy in the modern era is all about doing, not saying. The best way to actually reinforce the values and that you believe in something and that you personify something. It's not in what you say, it's what you do. And documenting that is actually the sound marketing strategy. So if you believe that, uh, uh, for example, at Gymshark, if the, the goal was to unite the conditioning community, so the solid marketing strategy is to deliver on that and document that, uh, uh, making statements doesn't get you any closer to actually reinforcing that, doing it and documenting it and showing it, that's the sound marketing strategy. So in whatever it is that you do, however big or small, if you focus on giving within your means 
and ensuring that your marketing strategy focuses on making the world a better place. That's a sound strategy in the modern era, especially with Gen Z. Show up. Show up and actually do what you say you're going to do. Love that. That's all that people ask for. So when you are thinking about constructing that, yeah. delivering that, um, in most cases, you can't do it alone. Yeah. You need a team. Yeah. How do you think about building that team and what do you look for when you're putting your teams together? Uh, f- funny story. I actually used to be terrible when it came to like managing and building teams. At the early days of my career, I was more the doer and I was a little bit of a control freak. I'll take a step back. I, I used to play football. And the issue with team sports is that people were always looking for a person to blame, even though it was not uh, their responsibility. So I I switched from playing football, which is a team sport at the time, to playing squash, which was a singular sport, because I know that if I win, it's because of what I did. And if I lose, it's because of what I did. And that kind of like translated in my work life, in my early career, I felt that I, I can take the criticism if I'm the one that's responsible for uh, the failure. And then when I started to move up in my career and you have to go away from having your fate in the hands of yourself, see your fate in the hands of other people, especially in the social space where you can make or break a brand with a tweet, it is very, very nerve wracking. I realized that I needed to find, it was just not gonna work. And I actually spoke to Ben at the time and he gave me a really good quote that helped him out. Uh, Satya Nadala, who's the um, uh, CEO of Microsoft at the moment, doing a, ph- a phenomenal job. Um, um, he said that the best teams have a mixture of energy and clarity. You need your energizers and you need your clarifiers. So you need people that make you excited. Uh, they drive the culture. They make work the best place to be. They come up with like crazy out there ideas. But you need other people that are very like structured, considered, they list things out, they make sure you know what's going on. And I always like to make sure there was a perfect balance of how I do my structures. So it's either four, two energizers, two structural people. They have to balance each other out because then you get that perfect mix. You need the energizers because what they do is they will come up with things that nobody else can, and that will be your point of difference. But a team with just energizers, you could create real chaos. And then you can actually grow a sustainable business with clarifiers, but you're not going to change the world. So you need both to work in harmony with each other. I mean, this is a stupid question because I think I know, but are you the energizer or the clarifier? I'm the energizer, 100%. So I can come up with ideas all day. When I started to become a manager, I try to be both. And I think that I'm probably went from like being 90% like ideas and 10% like clarifier to like 70, 30 But then I realized that actually the less or the more I go away from what my superpower is, the more predictable I start to become. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I do whenever I built a team and when I was building the business is I got some of us completely on the other spectrum to check me so that we almost like uh, hit a deadlock. And that will allow... Healthy friction. It's important. I I always say that there's two really important things as well. Obviously, overall, it's all about energy and clarity and that's very philosophical in general but then to be more specific you have to hire teams of people that challenge you right so 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 they that they're either better than you at yep. what they do yeah and they're different to you as yep. well from the perspective that they bring into the business it's important to add uh, cultural ads not cultural fits you have to get people that bring a different perspective of the world 
into the mix. Because if you want to service a global audience and you want to service the audience outside, you have to make sure that your team reflects that. Right. And I, and I, I like to say that actually having people that don't always agree with me is a good thing because I'm not always right. Yeah. And you'll always learn something new every day. Everyone has a different vantage point. Right. Yeah. Because if someone is really into gaming or someone's really into sport or to music and that's not you, they're coming and bringing a different vantage point, a different lens that you didn't have. Um, so I love that. Yeah. When you're um, thinking about uh, you mentioned being a bit of a control freak and I feel that so deeply. I feel like anyone who's watching this is going to be like, yeah, that's me. Anyone who has to kind of be and do what we do, we always have that element. How do you start to then learn to delegate or how did you learn to do that? So whenever I'm stuck somewhere in business or managing teams, I like to look at other reference points that I understand that make sense to me. If I'm a really good manager, then I need to make sure that I'm building a team of people that complement each other. Teams where you have people that know their roles. Everyone is looking to contribute to the bigger goal, but everyone wants to do it in their own way. And I said, okay, cool. If I can be really, really good at making sure I have my strikers, my defenders, my my midfielders, the team players, and I have like a philosophy that they follow, then they'll go on and win the game, right? So I said, okay, cool. Instead of trying to be the star player, why don't I try to be the best manager and building teams together? And And, and also we shouldn't shy away from the coaching element because I think that a lot, what a lot of people do Again, going back to the statement about hiring people that are better than you and different to you, that's not the end of the journey, right? It's a start. Be because when people are different to you, they will have different opinions to you. They will challenge you and you have to be okay with that. But, but also, if they're better than you, it's very easy to just let them crack on. The, 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 the trick that people miss is that once you get them through the door, you have to coach them and manage them towards a shared goal. They have to play nicely with each other. It's very easy to put a lot of people with opposing views. Now they have to work together and make sure that they respect each other. And you, I feel like a lot of managers shy away from managing. They want to hire people to delegate so they have one less thing to worry about. But actually, if you take that coach's role, I always say that it's actually a disservice if somebody does very well in an execution role and you naturally just say, you should be a manager. That's two completely different roles. Right. One is you're the star player, you have a high skill right? and you're good at doing that. The other is you're very good at, at flowing through other people. You're taking the back seat and you're growing and producing different people. That's why when I had the trajectory and like, like in terms of like the roots of growth in my teams, you're either going the lead route, or you're going the manager route. You don't have to change to be something that you're not. And you can still progress without losing momentum. Yeah. You should allow people that are very talented and skilled to, to do that. And then they can still grow. Don't let them lose who they are yeah. and make them become something that they're not. That's what happens with a lot of teams. They lose the energizers through the funnel because they're slowly chipping away. Like what I was doing, going away from being what they're good at yeah. to trying to be neutral. Yeah. And that's why a lot of like very senior teams are very bland. Yeah. Because they lose that, exactly. that spark. They lose that spark. I have heard another way of describing it as a non-football person, which is uh, like cooking. You wouldn't put the equal quantities of the same ingredient all in the pot. No. And, you know, you do it at different times. And sometimes one flavor is the star. Yeah. Sometimes the other is the star, but they all work together really beautifully 100%. to create the dish. So anyway, tell us about Iaconic and your role there as chief community officer. Yeah. yeah. So um, going back to that mindset of being today 
orientated. Social was where I could, or the canvas that I could um, demonstrate my skills yesterday and kind of today. Where is this world going? And everyone was talking about Web3 and blockchain technology and the metaverse and it was coming thick and fast. And I knew nothing about it. And I was like, okay, cool. The world is moving forward. You made your name in one particular space. Are you willing to suck and start again in a completely new space and learn from the best people in the industry? Scary. And that's exactly what I did. I We were at the mountaintop where they were doing a Gymshark and I said, you know what? At the moment that you feel, that's when you start to get complacent and that's where you need to change. So I said, okay, cool. Uh, Ioconico Adventure Studio, focusing predominantly on blockchain technology and Web3. And they are some of the best people that they brought in. And I was like, I want to learn from them, right? And and whilst doing that, they also gave me the opportunity to collaborate and create my own creative house simultaneously. So not only am I learning and helping them build communities in the Web3 space, and in, in almost like shaping the future of digital engagement going forward, we're, we're also making sure that people are ready for that transition because the missing trick of the Web3 space is you have to be good at Web2 to be good at Web3. So you need a creative house that allows people to be great at Web2 to understand what the possibilities and the opportunities will be in Web3. And that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. So you and I share like an obsession over community, <laughs> yeah. I think. Yeah. Maybe over many things, but definitely over community. <laughs> um, how important is community to building a brand? Because everything you've just touched upon and even as you say in Web3, that you had to be good at it in Web2. So how important is community? A brand and a business are two completely different things. You can create a, um, and you can create a business, well, a brand in a comp- loads of different ways, right? You can be through like um, a convenience, you're just the most convenience person and you're recognized and you're trusted because of that. Uh, it could be because of price, right? Uh, but it's also about community. But the issue with price and convenience is you're always fighting against the next person. Somebody can always be more convenient than you. Somebody can always be more like cheaper than you. Your business is very dependent on your competitors. Whereas with community, that's when you capture people's hearts. Now, on the flip side, a lot of people always say, we want to build our own community. It's a new buzzword. I always say that you never own your community. You're, you're merely renting them, right? Because going back to the whole conversation around Gymshark, it was all about uniting the, 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 the fitness community. There's already a community that exists. You're just aiming to be the, the, the spokesperson for that community and they trust you to represent them. And the best way to demonstrate that you're the spokesperson is through your content, leaking out the knowledge that everybody can authentically say, that's me. I get that. The earliest um, memory of a brand that did that was Nando's. Uh, Back in 2013, they put a tweet out saying, um, for all those that go to Nando's and order a water, but fill up a Coke, we see you. (laughs) Right? I don't know what you're talking about. I've never done that. Let's move on. It's It's like, we see you. And everyone was like, they get us, we do it. And that the, the Nando's strategy was all about just like observing what happens in the store and I'm putting it out in content. So what you need to say is, all right, cool. What community that exists out there that we want to be the spokesperson for, that we know the best? Yeah. And how do we demonstrate that through our content authentically? And then the tastemakers from that community will recognize you as the leader because you represent what the values of that community are. So that's the short thing strategy. You never own a community, you're merely renting them.
I think that that is a really interesting way to look at it. I've always thought of myself, not myself, but but Peanut as um, like the nightclub. And we just let everyone come into the nightclub, but we don't actually do anything other than provide the nightclub and maybe the music. Yeah. And then everyone makes the atmosphere and makes yeah. it. And so I, I do, it totally resonates. Building a community is not something that you can pretend right it's not yeah. you you've said it's it's something more it's something more authentic than mm-hmm. that what does it mean for um brands who shy away from showing up and being authentic if as a brand you're capitalizing on that ethos of galvanizing a community or the right community who are the people that will gravitate to the brand first and how do you get them to go on the journey with you and how do you reward them it's almost like a band where um, uh, they have early fans and then they get to a particular point and then people are like, oh, they're not who they used to be. Right. Now, that's what was happening in social. But now going into blockchain space, you can get those fans to actually profit for being early adopters to your business. What you can do is you can start to say, you know what, for anyone that buys my first album, right, you're going to get an equity stake through that album through blockchain technology yeah. so eventually in the future when people start to buy our album you own a piece of my masters so now not only do you have your fans sticking with you for the long haul you also get free promotion because now there's something in it for them yeah because you're moving as a unit so those are the things that are happening that will impact us in the future that people are not even like privy to right now and that's where the world's going my mind is blown <laughs> If you were starting and you were doing, uh, you you were thinking about what is some of the content that I can share with my community to make them feel real value, what would that be? Like what are things every kind of SME should be producing? Um, from the perspective of an SME, I think overall you should you should talk about the journey and you should encourage people to contribute to the to where you're going, right? And demonstrate. I think the whole you asked, we listened, demonstration. It's just like uh, a no-brainer when it comes to community building. We used to obsess over the comment section back in the day. Like, like, like when I was at Gymshark, you'd go to the boardroom and we'll look at comments and said, what did people say? What do they want? Like, what yeah. do they want from us? Yeah. And we'll actually create it. And part of our marketing strategy was, you asked, we listened. I think a lot of people forget or think in, in classic marketeer terms and business terms, we think, how much free reach am I going to get? No one thinks, actually, this is an opportunity for us to listen. For the first time, you can reach a lot of people and they can tell you what they think about it. And it's a sure strategy to listen to what they said and actually deliver on it. Marketing 101. People stay so far away from the comment section. And what about those moments? Yeah where the comment section is not favorable. Do you get stuck in? Do you put your head down, carry on? You have to be able to understand what's objective and what's opinion, but everything is valid. Because I always say that whether you perceive that it's valid or not, if something that you did um, got an audience thinking that way, then you should look into that and see what is it that's leaking that out. If people are saying, um, um, that you're not standing up for stuff, they're right. If people are saying that you're not eco-friendly, they're right. Because if you are and you've not demonstrated it, I like to say you have to have receipts. Unfortunately, I think in, um, and I think it's a cultural thing. I think that in the UK, we don't like showing, like we don't like showing 
stuff with a new Gen Z audience, especially in the UK, you have they to. want to see receipts. Uh, yeah. You have to make sure that you back and support causes that you actually care about. Don't fall under the pressure of supporting things that you haven't authentically uh, uh, demonstrated that you've actually cared about and supported. That That's part of the mind trick with socials. And going back to the whole thing about comments, there'll always be comments of people saying, well, why don't you support this? Or why don't you do this? Right. Or why don't you right. get involved in this? Uh, and I have a people-pleasing nature in me as well. So you want to give people what they want. However, you have to look at the big picture here. If we do this, are we doing this just to show face? Or are you doing this because we actually care about what's happening? And if you care about what's happening, then just donate. Just do the right thing. And if people ask you what you've done, you can say, yeah, we've done this, but we didn't want to share it. That's actually more powerful than just doing it for a performative reason. Now, the things that you do share are things that are aligned with your mission and your goal as a business because that reinforces your values. Also, because of what you said culturally, I think it is very British. We don't like to show off. Yeah. There is a feeling of mustn't show off. But as you said, there are generations now coming through who expect it. For them, it's not showing off. It's just tell us who you are yeah. and we'll make a decision based on it. Um how do you approach that? How do you share those messages without feeling like, doo, 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 just to toot my own horn? Well, I think it has to do with tonality. And a lot of people, when they talk about a personal brand or wanting to create a brand, um, they talk about being positioned as the expert. The issue with aiming to be positioned as the expert is that you put yourself here and everybody else one below. And that is why the tonality is off. What you need to do is position yourself as the enthusiast and you need to know what your role is and lean into that. What do you think surprised you the most about what you've learned on your journey then? So the thing that surprised me the most is that I felt that not being a stereotypical CEO would be a disadvantage, but I actually thought it was an advantage because you don't come in with almost like, prior views on how things need to be done. Yeah. You you recognize when people know better than you. I was going back and forth on whether I wanted to actually even be the CEO of my own business, right? And then I said, okay, cool. Well, if I was going to be, what would I need to make sure that I actually deliver and I'm not the weakness in the group? I was like, well, I need people that are better operationally. I need people that are better from a finance standpoint. And there has to be people that still understand the bigger picture of what we're looking to do. If I at any point become the hindrance for that journey, then I'm willing to walk away from that and get somebody else do the job. And now now that I know that eventuality, I'm like, oh, let's vibe, <laughs> right? So it's a lot easier to uh, live through the day today. Disarmingly self-aware. Yeah, you have to be. Let's, let's give some advice to round it up yeah. because I think it's super important. We've heard you. I feel like I'm going to float home <laughs> today. You should aim to be a find right business and not a be right business. And what I mean by that is you should aim to obviously understand the ring fence in which you want to be known for, but then let the details be guided by the community. Put things out there, test and learn, and whatever that the audience gravitates to, lean into that. And then you build on it, you build on it until you can give it a, a stage where it's worth investing. So that's one thing. The second bit, would be uh, um, there's gold in the comment section. Don't ignore the comments. Like as much as it might make you feel better that uh, uh, you don't read the comments, 
the comments is a guide. I always used to say that um, um, the comments is the navigation system. And if you listen um, uh, uh, hard enough, you might find the destination to your next location. And not only should you be obsessed about your own comments, you should also be obsessed about your competitors' comments and also what other people do. People leak out what they actually need. Right. Uh, and you should make sure that you're not missing out on that. And the final bit is uh, don't be crippled by perfection. Don't put perfection on a pedestal. Uh, we have a very impact of an effort mindset. It's, it's, is that what we're doing? Are we trying to make ourselves look good in front of other marketeers? Are we actually trying to service and provide value to the end consumer? And if you keep and stay consumer orientated, your results will work better. You will resonate more and you might not win uh, as many awards, but you'll actually drive the impact that is required, which will then give you the awards. I always say legacy of a currency. If you focus on your legacy, then the currency will follow. So that's how I see it. Alfred, thank you so much for today. It's been absolutely amazing. I feel like I've never nodded so much in my life. I've been like that, one of the dogs in the back of the car window. Um, I feel very, very uh, empowered by what you've told us, most importantly, because it's so tangible. Um, and we can go away and action all of those points. So thank you so much. Um, can't wait to learn more from you. Thank you for having me. It was great. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Learning Curve, the V-Hub series presented by me, Michelle Kennedy, and brought to you by Vodafone Business. If you are starting or building an SME business, do check out the free V-Hub service from Vodafone. V-Hub offers access to webinars and training on digital topics. You can also speak to a team of advisors for guidance specific to your business. Support can really help to fast track your plans, so do use the free resource and speak to an advisor today. For more information, search Vodafone VHub or click on the link provided.